Uh, today, the title of the message is Abiding in Christ and Christ in You. Now, if you follow my blogs, blogs, they would be TED, the number four, com, or TED, the number four, leaders.com. They come out every week, Monday and Wednesday. If you've been following my blogs, you've been seeing I've been writing on this subject. Uh, I have ministered on this topic in the last few weeks in New Mexico and I've shared a little in Wisconsin and down in Mount Vernon last week. And so generally some things get in my spirit and I can't let go of them. I need to unload them and some things that God is, is doing. And uh, Jonathan's been hearing a similar thing in this same respect. So we're going to be primarily talking out of John chapter 14 and some verses out of the book of Hebrews. But John 14, 15, 16, and 17 are very unique place in scripture. John 13 is a supper. We call it the Lord's Supper. It's John's version. And at the Lord's Supper, Jesus finished something that had been a dress rehearsal for centuries. He finally said, okay, this is the deal. Now we're going to make it real. You've been doing a meal, which is a shadow of something really good. But now I'm going to show you this is finished. And now we're going to commune together and we're going to have a testimony together. And so if I was teaching on that, I'm just going to allude to this. Jesus said something that wasn't true according to Jewish tradition. He took the cup after supper and he said, this is the cup of the blood of the new covenant. According to the Passover Seder meal, cup after supper is not the cup of blood. It's the cup called the cup of halal, praise which is a special type of praise. It means it's so obvious we're going to declare you legally insane by natural standards. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, cup four, after the supper. If you can drink cup four, it means the other three cups have been drunk. Which is a cup of thankfulness. I'm glad my father was a Chaldean, but he became a Hebrew. I was a natural person, but I got born again. And I live as a normal person in a carpenter shop in an everyday world, but by extraordinary means. Jesus made that possible. And I also am experiencing his deliverance. There's nothing greater than Jesus. He casts out every devil. He heals every wounded part in my life. He is great. He's stronger than the rod of Moses <laughs> that demonstrated the power of God to the Egyptians. And then Jesus said, but this is the one now. I'm going to be the blood of the third cup. I am the lamb slain for you. So that the next time we drink this cup, I'll drink it new with you. Okay. He takes the cup after supper. That's the new cup. You can't drink that cup unless the other three were drunk by Jesus. He lived as a man. He was a deliverer. And he died as the lamb. If you are experiencing the Holy Spirit today, Jesus is drinking with you. Jesus is communing with you. And it's not in a cup of wine or a cup of juice or a cracker or a piece of bread. It's in an everyday world in an intimate place with God. Anything you want to say to that? Okay. Now, after Jesus does that, before he's arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, he tells them, a whole bunch of stuff in a matter of hours. You might want to read John 14, John 15, John 16, and John 17. It'll take you all week. Jesus said these things in a matter of hours. They're very important things in every space between. Are you in a space between? There's important things to know. So we're going to focus on just... A little bit of this. We'll get John 14, verse 16. Jesus says this to his friends. Now, when you're reading scripture, listen to me. The Bible is not a how-to book. It's not so that you'll know how to act. 
It's a witness to the voice of Holy Spirit to your heart. It's the only written witness that is absolutely true, a shadow of the good thing, but it's not the good thing. Scripture is not the good thing. The good thing is you becoming the testimony that the scripture talks about. But the Bible is not like the books you find down at Barnes and Noble. Or at some Amazon Kindle shop. It's not even like a book I might write. Which I've written quite a few. Okay, It's a book that is a witness to the voice of God. Its primary purpose is so that you're hearing the right voice. But it's not a, this is how I should act, this is what I should do. Although you can find that stuff in there. But it's a witness to the voice of God in your life. A very, 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 very personal thing. <laughs> but it's meant to connect you to that place. So now Jesus, in the Bible, when you read pronouns, a pronoun is you, him, her, them. There is no pronoun in scripture that is you. Not one verse of scripture, when it's written, it says, I say to you, you are not the you. Or he says to them, us in this room, we're not them. However, God's very much alive. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. So what he said in scripture, he can say again, and he does say again. But if you'll understand that, you have to look at the context of the foundation of what was said first to catch an idea of what he might be saying now. Okay, so he says in John 14, I will pray the Father and he will give you, in the room right now are 11 men. One man has already left the room. A betrayer already walked out the door. And Jesus is talking to 11 guys and he says, I say to you, I will give you another helper. And he will abide with you, my 11 friends, forever. The spirit of truth. Now it applies to you and I. The exact same things apply to you and I. But you have to understand, Jesus is talking to his friends. People who have hugged his neck, kissed his face. Know what he smells like when he walks in the room. Know what it feels like when he walks and sits down next to them. They know him. They know him. And he's saying to them, I'm going to give you another helper, guys. Come on, listen to me, guys. <laughs> I'm going to give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. It's also true for us. But the pronouns are these friends of his. He said, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. Now, I'm going to talk to you. I'm talking to you about the helper right now. And the world doesn't see him or know him. Don't expect the world to see him or know him. I cannot shame somebody who cannot see. Somebody who cannot see God and does not know him. I cannot condemn them for that. And I cannot expect them to see it or know it. I cannot expect people in the world to act like sons and daughters of God. And I cannot expect them to show it in scripture and for them to see it. I can only demonstrate to them what a son or a daughter looks like. That's the only thing I can do. Now, God wants everybody to be like the 11 in the room. He wants everybody to come into a relationship where they can see and they can know him. But if you're looking at the world trying to figure out God, you're not going to figure him out. And if you're trying to get the world to figure out God by looking at scripture or whatever, you're not gonna, it's not going to work either. So it's just the world can't see him, doesn't know him. Okay? But you know him, my 11 friends, for he dwells with you. Now, in the room, there's one new covenant person and 11 old covenant guys. In, the, in your paper version of the Bible, before Matthew, it says New Testament. It's not true. It's the most unique place of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is where there's one new covenant man among old covenant people. It's not New Testament because the New Testament doesn't really begin until Acts chapter 2. When a whole bunch of people become new covenant guys and gals. Now, what does it mean to be a new covenant person? To be new, it has to be N-O-W. 
W. Now, the moment is not now, it's not new. So to be a new covenant person, you have to have an intimate, personal connection to God in you, upon you, and with you. You have to have an internal relationship and an external testimony and a partnership with God to be a new covenant person. Jesus had that kind of life all his life. And he came so that you and I could have that kind of a life all our lives, even in a COVID time. <laughs> even in a time when everything changes, when boulders move. Okay. So he says, he dwells with you, but he will be in you. So how was he dwelling with the 11 guys in the room? He was dwelling with them in the form of Jesus was in the room with his friends. You in your neighborhood is God with your neighbors. You in your neighborhood is God with your neighbors. When you walked into the room today, you were God with your friends. But you're not God in your friends. But you should be God with your friends. I'm not talking about independent, disconnected God. I'm talking about Jesus in the, in the flesh. One with him. Hey, he says, he's going to be not only with you, he's going to be in you. I, Jesus, will not leave you, my 11 friends, as orphans. I will come to you. He says, I will come to you. A little while longer, the world will see me no more, but you will, you will see me because I live, you will live also. Now, this is not some time way in the future for these guys. This is the moment this becomes real for these 11 friends of his, they're going to see him in a different way than they're able to see him on this night. But they're going to see him because they're going to realize he's not dead, he's alive. But then they're also going to find out that they're not dead, they're alive. On that day you will know that I am in the Father and you and me and I in you. Oh, is it not Oh, I turned it off on it. Okay. <laughs> so then he talks about keeping the commandments. Uh, he will, you, if you love my father, I'll love him and manifest myself to him. So, in other words, God wants to, wanted to make a way that God would be in and with. Luke 24, 49 says he also wanted to be upon. I want to clothe you. So I'm going to give you three things God wants to be in your world right now. He wants to be in you. He wants to be upon you. And he wants to be with you. Which is impossible for anybody who is independent from God. A family tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do you have a family tree? A family tree would mean there's a dad, a mom, a grandpa, grandma, cousins, uncles, you know, family tree. Well, Jesus was the first born of a family tree of life. Because there were a whole lot of people who had been generations of a family tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the first one and only family tree of life put his life upon the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the cross. And it didn't swallow him up. It didn't kill him. He didn't die of crucifixion. He died of love. He decided to. We didn't kill him. He decided to die. So that we could come into this place of a relationship with him. Now, we've been talking a lot about, what, Hebrews 4. What's Hebrews 4 about? Uh, yeah, faith is about... Um, uh, just grace, empowering, being empowered by grace. Um, it's a lot about a lot of things. <laughs> for me, at the beginning of 2020, in December of 2019, God told me, before I knew anything about 2020, He said, this is a season to know me resting in your life. Rest, that's right. 
This is not a year or a season of momentum. It's a season of the moment. And you're going to need to learn for me to rest in your life. Okay, if you've heard me at all or followed my writings, you know that all through 2020, I talked about that. Pastor Jonathan and Danny have been talking about that. Resting in God. God resting in you. And then 2020 turned into 2021. Now you got to find out whether you're really resting in God or really, you really, God was resting in you. And then 2021 turned into the second half of 2021. And now you got to find out whether God is really resting in you. <laughs> and you're resting in Him. Now, God does not rest because He's tired. He doesn't rest because he's exhausted. That, that's your definition and my definition when you live in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know why it's so tiring living in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Because you've got to know too much. It's flipping exhausting living in that tree. <laughs> I mean, that is probably the, the, uh, the biggest weapon against us is we know too much. And now you've got the ability to know even more. Really quick. Google. You can Google it. <laughs> and you say, well, what is truth? Well, you don't have a clue because there's so much to know. Man, that's exhausting. And then after a while, you just want to rest. Give me rest. And that's not God's rest. God's rest is he looks at you and he says, ah, I like it. He rests because he's extremely satisfied. He knows the future is in good hands. Okay, so Hebrews 4 is the context of that. Now, in Hebrews 4, there's some great verses that fit with John 14, of God being in us, upon us, with us, us knowing him. It's all about this abiding thing. It goes into John 15, abiding with him, and, and, and John 16, John 17, eternal life, knowing the Father, knowing the Son, all these things. Okay, in Hebrews Chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are. It's not a sin to be tempted. When you're tempted, you have a choice. You can choose to be smart and get tired. Or you can choose to be connected and get refired. Should I say that again? When you're, when, you're, when you're in this place of being tempted, you can choose to be smart and get tired. Because you're going to get offended. People are going to make judgments. People are going to get defiled. People are going to be insubordinate. Your, your life is going to be filled with all kinds of options of stuff. And you can get tired. So if you choose to be strong in yourself, at that time, you're going to get exhausted. And what's happened is temptation is going to then yield to transgression and internal rebellion. <laughs> and what you're going to do is you're going to look for love in the wrong place. You're going to bite the wrong thing. That's called disconnection. God does not kill sinners. Never has, never will. Sin will kill you every time. The vacuum cleaner unplugged from the wall will make the vacuum not work every time. The fuel tank going empty cause your car to stop on the freeway every time. There's no God in heaven that makes cars without fuel. Stop. Stop. Shame on you, you empty tank car. Stop. There's no God in heaven that kills sinners. But being disconnected from life will kill you every time. It's like being unplugged, disconnected. That'll kill you. Sin kills sinners. Jesus came to make it so that sin can't kill you. How? By making it so that you don't need to stay away from the connection. <laughs> so he says, he can empathize. I get it. I get it. What you, I get that. I get what you're feeling. I understand what it's like to work in that environment. I understand, but here's the deal. Come to me. You can boldly come to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in your time of need. Two things. 
Mercy does not live where grace lives. But mercy is a judgment that frees you from the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, there is a right and there is a wrong. What is it? Half the time I don't know. But when I choose wrongly, there's a consequence. And it's not because God's in control. It's because I'm in control and I didn't get intimate with the one in charge, so I chose wrongly. And the result is death. The result is a judgment. Jesus made a provision to make a judgment for the administration of judgment. Here it is. You ready? Mercy. Hey. Woo-hoo. Everybody, listen. Mercy. Come to me. Via me. That's what they say in Portuguese. Via me. Via me. Come to me. Come to me. Okay? Because I want to give you your gift. It justifies you to live. Mercy. But then you have to... It's not something he gives, he gives to you. He doesn't wait to you know, force it on you. I think Benjamin, you said he's a gentleman. Doesn't force it on you. But guess what? He, he's doing this. He's saying... Hey, 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 come here, come here. I really love you. I want you to come to me. Would you come to me? You can, hey, don't be shy. Don't be shy. Be bold. Come to me. Now, receive mercy. You have to reach out and grab it. And then you have to find grace. We'll do what my wife loves. Everybody say, find. Find. She doesn't like it when we do that. But... <laughs> Find. Okay, have you ever had to find something? Come on, this is, you know, I'm about to complete my 67th year, and I found out, I find a, 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 the last couple of months, I've had to find a lot of things. Some things I still haven't found. <laughs> I got two utility knives that I've had to find, but I only found one. There's still one more to find, because I put it down between somewhere and somewhere else. I don't know where that was. Okay, I spent a lot of time in the day trying to find stuff. God wants you to find grace. Now, what is grace? It's the manifest presence of God in your life. Change every time. If there's no change, there's no grace. The world is not living in grace. Listen to me. The world is, I'm not saying shame on the world. Listen to what I'm saying. The world is not living in grace. They're living in the need of mercy. The Pharisaical church is not living in grace. They're living in the need of mercy. Okay? Choose whichever you want. The lawless are not living in grace. The legalists are not living in grace. They're living in the need of mercy. I got good news for the legalists. Mercy. I got good news for the lawless. Mercy. Now, God wants us to come and find grace. Grace is God's manifest presence in your life. In you. Upon you. With you. Okay. Now, he comes when? When we ask him, when we welcome him, when we want him. Now, I'm going to take us to another verse in Hebrews 9, and I'm going to... It's it's getting close to lunch, and you want to barbecue a cow, I'm going to give you one to roast, or to grill. (laughs) Okay, when reading scripture, Star Wars is not the book to choose for interpretation. Battlestar Galactica is not a book to choose, nor, nor War of the Worlds nor local news, nor anything of natural sight is not what you go to to understand Scripture. Actually, Holy Spirit is the teacher. Scripture is not. Holy Spirit is the teacher, but he said things a gazillion times in patterns in Scripture. So you always interpret Scripture with Scripture. Okay, now, would you be surprised if I told you that the term second coming is only one place in your Scripture? Other than the headers, the second coming. 
those, those subtitles that are added in there to tell you what it's about since you don't have a brain to figure it out. Let me choose before you read this what this is about. The second coming of Christ. <laughs> Be thou hypnotized. <laughs> no, cross off all the headers out of your Bible and come up with your own. Now, now that you've removed that, there's no place in Scripture other than the verse we're about to read where it talks about a second coming. Now, is there a second coming? I'm going to tell you this. Whatever's true on this side is mega true beyond this life. If you're living in hell now, that's mega true beyond this life. So don't live there. If you're living in heaven right now, that's mega true in the life beyond. So choose to live there. Whatever you do, do not die dead. Because how you leave a thing is how you enter the next thing. So don't die dead. <laughs> okay? Now, so there has to be something true of... I, I'm a maturation culminationist, is, is what I am in my eschatology... I've got different views on theology, but my eschatology basically is he who began a good work in me is faithful to complete it. From glory to glory, he's changing me. There's an increasing mountain. Leaven is filling the loaf. The righteous, the brightness gets brighter and brighter in the coming day. That's, you catch where I'm coming from? There's a, there's a maturation to a culmination. So when I'm about to say about second coming... There is a maturation to a culmination. So, so don't think I didn't say Jesus is not coming back in an event called second coming. Um, I'm really saying I don't know what that looks like. But let me show you something I do know. <laughs> okay? Now. So rather than base my theology on what I don't know, I'm going to present to you now what do I know. Okay? Not only by scripture, but what's happening in my life. So in Hebrews chapter 9, he says, As it is appointed, verse 27, As it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. Now, that phrase right there, there are many scriptures that say to... to be baptized, submerged into Christ is to find you have died in Christ. So the life you now live, you live by faith in Christ. So Jesus died once for all so that we all could come and it's appointed for all to die once. And then after this, the judgment. Okay. If you want to say, well, that's the physical death. I can show you in scripture, this guy named Enoch that never died. That blows that one out of the water right there. It's appointed to die and then a judgment, okay? I died in Christ. What then, what, what judgment did I receive? Mercy. Okay. Hey, I got good news for everybody. Woo! Even works online right now. Come on now. Those of you online, listen, I got good news for you. You don't have to live a life of frustration, even on days that are frustrating. You can come and lose your life so that you can actually save it. You can actually lay down your life so you can actually find it. The objective is not to lose or to lay it down. The objective is to save, to finally live. So you have to die to live. Because God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. So get the dead over with. And now here's the mercy that you... you here's the judgment you receive. It's available to everybody. Anybody. Mercy... Okay, now that justifies you to live. Right, very good. It's that simple. Mercy. Okay. Good job, good job. Okay, so it's appointed for everybody to die once. So you want to make sure you appropriate the mercy of God before you physically die. If you appropriate the mercy of God today, then death isn't even powerful. The second death has no power over you. As many as believe in Jesus have already passed from death into life. Eternal life is not just to live forever. It's to know God the Father. To know Jesus the Son. 
Eternal life works on a good day, works on a bad day. It's life, life. You know, like Princess and the Bride. It's not like kind of dead, mostly dead, sort of dead. <laughs> how, how alive are you? I'm connected to eternal life. Okay. Well, some days it doesn't feel quite like, like that. I get it, but it is eternal life to know Daddy, to know Jesus the Son by the fellowship of Holy Spirit. You know, that's really to know God in me, to know God upon me, to know God with me <laughs> is life. Everything's going to be all right. Because look at the verse says now, to those who eagerly wait for him, he appears a second time apart from sin for salvation. Now, here's how we've defined that. He appears a second time, sometime way in the future, to take you to heaven when you die. <sighs> Going to heaven when you die was not your major problem. Your major problem was nobody was bringing heaven into the earth. Nobody was bringing heaven into their marriage. Nobody was bringing heaven into their family. Nobody was bringing heaven into their workplace. Nobody was bringing heaven into their country. No one was bringing heaven into their city. No one was bringing the influence. No one was subduing. To subdue is to destroy death with life. And no one was exercising dominion. Dominion is to crumble lies with truth. And both are life-giving attributes. No one was doing that. So Jesus in John 14 is telling the boys, I'm going to leave. Why? So that I can come to you again a second time. I'm here for you a first time. But I'm going to come to you a second time. The word in the Greek here is erkome, which is also another word for coming is parousia. Those two words are most often of the coming of Christ. And they're not a future event. It's a perfect and imperfect tense word. It means it's happening, continue to happen, continue to happen. Tomorrow is Monday. You're going to need salvation tomorrow. And following Monday is Tuesday. And there's a whole bunch of days connected together. And you're going to need salvation. Salvation, you, know, you, you don't need, I mean, you might die and go to heaven. You'll need that if that happens. But chances are, that's not going to happen. But you are going to need heaven into your world. So mercy won't cut it. <laughs> I think that's what everybody's crying for right now is mercy. They're crying out for, I'm, I'm surrounded by victims and everybody wants to make an enemy of something and everybody wants to be rescued. Christians and non-Christians alike. I'm surrounded by all everywhere I look. So um, people want mercy. So that's what they want. They come and do it for me. Come and do it for me. But Jesus, I sense in my spirit stronger than everything. Um, that Jesus wants us to make us into the word made flesh. He wants to shape us and become where he says we're one. That's what he said. He even says in John 17 later, he says that I gave them glory. I always thought glory was this evidence of something later, but I gave them glory. I gave them the oneness. I gave them to be made whole, to be fully subdued, fully abiding in. I gave them what that, look, that relationship looks like. I gave that to them. So they can be all one. They can be the evidence. They can be heaven on earth. I gave that to them. Now they're going to have to walk that out every day. We're going to need it fresh. That, that second coming, we need that coming, that continue coming. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm 100% on board with this, that, that I believe that Jesus, I can get behind this more than anything, that we need Jesus. We don't just need Jesus' mercy because we, 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 we goofed or we did something wrong. We need to become made something where that, that manifests the truth, what it looks like. That manifests what the way looks like. That manifests what Jesus looks like. If you see me, you see my Father. And it's not a change of circumstance. It's a, it's a change of presence called you. Because of his presence in, upon, and with you. So it's you changing in your world because he's in your world. And because he's in your world, your situation, you can start out with a bad day and it ends up good. Why? Because he's in that bad day with you. 
And that's what he's doing right now in this resting place. If you're frustrated with rest because he wants you to manifest salvation in rest. He wants you to manifest what Christ looks like in rest. That's not easy for us. We want evidence. We want fruit first. It's not a season of fruit. It's a season of leaves. It's a season of growth. God's growing us in the middle of of unknown, in the middle of what we don't know what's next. And so we're in this season of rest, like Hebrews 4, so that we can be made manifest what is Christ with skin on. (laughs) Am I eagerly, eagerly waiting? Am I eagerly intertwined with him for his presence to come into my life today so that he comes a second time for me? Or am I living in the pattern of always needing him to come in his first time for me? Mercy, 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 mercy. <laughs> or am I living with his coming? I'm eagerly, I'm not waiting for nothing to happen. I'm eagerly waiting. When the scripture says the spirit and the bride say come, that context of that is foundational, not culminational. The spirit and the bride say come. I am the bride of Christ. Jesus is not coming back for a bride without spot, blemish, or wrinkle so that he can marry her. He's already married to her, and he doesn't see her spots, her blemishes, or her wrinkles. Read Ephesians 5. Okay? He's already joined to the church, and he, and he treats her as the Proverbs 31 woman should be treated. He brings her alongside of himself in everything. He gives life to her. He washes her with life-giving words and he brings her alongside of him and everything as a good husband should do. And she receives the life he's giving. She believes the word he's speaking and she willingly comes up there with him in all things. That's partnership of Christ in the church. And he doesn't see any spots, blemishes, or wrinkles. If you think he's going to get you clean so that he can marry you, being married to him is what makes you clean. You're already clean by the word that I gave you, John 15. You're already clean. Let me give you a freebie. Anything that God says to you is to make you fruitful, not to make you clean. Now, it might cut. (laughs) It might prune something because his words will prune things. But it's so that you'll be fruitful, not so you'll be clean. You're already clean. If you hear a voice, oh, I'm going to do this to be clean... Tell that devil, take a hike. And if a voice comes to you and says, this is God, you must be clean. You say, well, go away, great pretender. (laughs) Because God's not going to give you a word to make you clean. He's going to give you a word to make you fruitful. Now, that might be cutting off some things that are making you act unclean. (laughs) Okay, you're not a sinner anymore. You're a saint. You're, you're a son or daughter. Let's look one more section in John 14. Pop back to John 14. And the first few verses. Okay, Jesus, speaking to his 11 friends. Can you imagine being in that supper with them? With Jesus. Do you think the tangible manifest presence of God was in that place? When he gave and divided the cup, cup three with them, and then... He, he took cup four after supper and drank it. Do you think they felt the presence of God in the room? Did it feel like good news? And look, at, Jesus says immediately after that, let not your heart be troubled. I bet the boys are thinking, well, <laughs> what have I got to be troubled about? This feels pretty good. Okay, you don't know what you're about to face. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many, I like the translation, dwellings. (laughs) If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, I don't believe that the dwellings are merely that cabin that's up there in heaven for me to go hunting from. When Jesus said this, he's the only human dwelling place of God on planet earth. He's the only, the one and only, full of grace and truth, dwelling place of God on planet earth. Everybody else is a God visit them once in a while place. They were human wannabes. They were human doo-doos. But there was only one human being. 
Disconnection from God cannot make you a human being. It can make you a human wannabe. And then you say stupid things like, I can do anything. No, you can't. Because you make a terrible somebody else. And if you think you want to be somebody else, that's called identity crisis. You don't like who you are. And God came to, so you would like who you are. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, I will come and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, if you read the rest of this chapter, you'll find he's not talking about, I'm going to wait in heaven for you to come to me. He's talking about, I'm coming to you, 11 guys. So then he walked into the room after his resurrection, breathed on them. He first he says, peace. And then he breathed on them. <sighs> Received the Holy Spirit. And I think something happened. <sighs> something happened with first Adam when God did that. I think something happened to the 11 guys. I think the Holy Spirit came in them and they became a dwelling place of God. And then it was important they go and wait for what was in them to get out of them, to clothe them. And then he said, greater things than what I've been doing, you'll do. What is greater things? Greater things are your dwelling place for God. I just wonder if things are going on in the world that are different than what we can see. I was questioning... You know, the, the Afghanistan thing obviously is a big deal, right? I mean, and the truth is a whole lot of Christians just got killed this week. They did. Whether you, you believe it or not, they did. They got, they got killed. Okay? Uh, now, do I agree with going to Afghanistan? It's irrelevant. I could look at it and say, wow, 20 years after an event that happened, I remember that day, 9-11, my first day of ministry training school okay I remember that day 20 years later it seems like that empowerment of that evil spirit I'm not talking about human flesh I'm talking about humans who are manipulated by an evil spirit okay and then I'm looking at going into Afghanistan gosh what was that about and then I thought well I wonder how many people have been led to Jesus in the last 20 years in Afghanistan I wonder if somebody there for a good reason or somebody there for a bad reason, I don't care. I wonder if somebody who was a dwelling place of God might have shared with someone else about God. And I just wonder if there's something bigger going on on planet Earth than what I see in the natural. Okay, close it up by the verse I'm after, and I'm going to try to sum it up in this. 14.6. Jesus says to Philip, he's talking to Thomas, he's talking to Philip. Philip says, you know, show us the way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that could be true from getting from here into heaven. He is the way, the truth, and the life. But what about Monday? How are you going to get, oh, let's get, grab a better one, Wednesday. <laughs> oh, getting, uh, that's that hump day in the middle of the week. What about Wednesday or, or Thursday? I watch Meg, you know, she, she likes weekends. I know she does because sometimes she's dreams she's already there before she's there. I know. <laughs> she usually does it when she falls asleep on the couch. She thinks she wakes. I've done that. Gosh. Basic training, I woke up in a movie theater after six weeks in basic training think I was at home. And then all reality broke loose. I realized, wait a minute, home is never happening again. <laughs> so, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Synonymous, number of synonymous words. Pastor Jonathan said three of them this morning, praying, faith, hope, and love. Synonymous words to... The way, the truth, and the life. Synonymous words. In him I live, in him I move, in him I have my being. Here's three synonymous words. Righteousness in the Holy Spirit. 
peace in the Holy Spirit, joy in the Holy Spirit. So righteousness, I am the way. Okay, you start in the morning, you got to get to the evening. How would you do that? You would need to know the way. What if the way is not what you do, but who you are? What if the way to get through your day is not what you do today, but who you are today, so that whatever happens, it can't change who you are? What if righteousness is not about whether you're right or not, because I know a lot of relationships that have ended because someone was right, and they ended up right on the couch. (laughs) And I know a lot of things that ended because they were right. near as I know, it's totally wrong for an innocent man to die for guilty people. Yet Jesus said, no, it's right. Law says it's wrong. Love says it's right. Law says it's wrong for an innocent man to die for guilty people. Love says it's right for for an innocent man to die for guilty people. Law says it's wrong for you to be hated. Love says it's right for you to be hated and it can't change who you are. So righteousness then is a connection to Jesus is the way. God in me, Christ in me, is the way. Not me disconnected from God, not me being so caught up in what's going on in the world that I'm going to define what's right, what's wrong. Okay, is it left? Is it right? Is it right? Is it left? No. Okay. Are there there good decisions in those things and bad decisions in those things? Sure. But the world won't change by left and the world won't change by right. It'll only change by love. (laughs) He comes a second time for... He comes a first time for judgment. Here it is. Mercy! He comes a second time for... Salvation, salvation. Oh, have you ever had that day? Come on, have you ever had that day you need that salvation? Okay, you get it if you eagerly wait for him. You eagerly desire his, his ergome, his present, perfect, imperfect, constant coming into your life. Is there a day of that? Great, but don't wait for it. Eagerly wait. Call the spirit of the bride. Say, ha, ha, Vanya, Vanya, come, come. Jesus is the way. How am I going to get through Monday? Jesus is the way. Righteousness in the Holy Spirit. Him in me is going to empower me to be who I am. If you ask God, God, who do I say you are? He says, (laughs) I am. How about you? Are you a dwelling place of God? Could you be a little I am? As a testimony of a big I am? Would you get through your day better as an I am or a I don't know what to do? (laughs) Would you know God in you more as an I am or as a God would you please come? Well, I'm here. Behold... I like that word behold in the, in the Hansen translation. It's hi, hello, look, check it out. Behold, I stand at the door. Hi, hello, hey, ah, woohoo. Here I am, I'm standing at the door, I'm knocking. If you open the door, I'm a dwelling place of God. Okay, second, peace. Peace, truth, 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 truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall. 
Thank you. Most of you said it right. If anybody said set, that's not correct. Make you free. You're not a sinner set free. You're a sinner born again that now practices righteousness so you don't sin as often. You're not a practicing sinner. (laughs) You're a practicing believer. A practicing son. You know what they call a doctor that gets C's in med school? A doctor. Okay. Hey, I got good news for all my neighbors. You could be a practitioner of being a son or daughter of God. You could practice. It would involve inviting God into your life, leaning into him, opening the door. Come on. Thank you, thank you. Okay, now peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is where is your house? Those dinner plates that Aunt Susie's got, Grandma's got, Maybe you have, I don't know, on your wall, those dinner plates, those collectible plates. You ever seen the one with the snow-capped mountains in the back? Peaceful little river, looks like a Thomas Kincaid log cabin. And it says, peaceful solitude. It's not a house, it's a boat. First melting spring, water comes down, becomes a torrent. Little calm house becomes a fast boat in the flood. Most people's definition of peace is no conflict. Peace is your house in the right place. Peace is no gap between you and God. How would I know there's no gap between me and God? What am I wearing? Okay, I'm going to give you a a, a simple little deal. We're out of time, but okay. A guy came up to me two weeks ago, a friend of mine in New Mexico. Uh, he's like my age. He came up to me and he says, Pastor, I noticed you speak in tongues a lot. And you're always happy. I, I try, but I get, I get tired. I said, well, let's just stop trying and let's just practice. Okay? Okay, see, tongues, to me, speaking in tongues is a new... Two new covenant realities that didn't exist in the old. They had healing. They had people raised from the dead. They had miracles. Nobody spoke in tongues. Because everybody was smart. Tongues is God's gift of stupid for your sake. I can't live without it. It's not even optional for me. It's essential. It, you get around me, you're going to find it. Oh, demasha. What did that mean? We'll figure it out. I'll get some thoughts during the day. That'll be the interpretation. But if I got to do 10,000 of those before I get a couple of thoughts, five thoughts of my understanding are worthless. Two thoughts of God's understanding are essential. If I can't get any of those, I'll choose to exercise stupidity as long as I need to until something comes. Okay, your biggest problem is you think too much. Your biggest problem is you live in a world that's teaching you to think too much. You're constantly making decisions. How about you quit making decisions, and wait until a decision comes. Being clothed in Christ is to recognize the one in you. Just let it out. Um, you don't, somehow... A testimony. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb. A relationship with God. They overcame by the word of their testimony. You're submerged in God, for goodness sakes. A testimony is going to come today. Peace I have in the Holy Spirit. God is upon me. And God with me. Joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy is not happiness. Joy is purpose. Partnership partnership i got an idea you're the life god so how about this i'm gonna realize that every dream every vision that i have is really your dream and your vision so i got an idea you let me think some things i'll let you think some things and then let's let's partner in the family business to make this happen we'll do whatever it takes so that i could maybe get like jesus dad (laughs) If there's any other way to do this, but nevertheless, let your will be done, not my will.
That's what Jesus said at the cross. Any other way to do this? You see, Jesus did not come to die for your sins. He came to reconnect you to your Father, but it required Him dying for your sins. So He was willing to die for your sins to make that happen. Any other way to do it? But not, nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. So Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is in me, upon me, and with me. You can sum this up. All right, so I had asked him to, just something that I've realized in this time of waiting um, and in this time of not knowing what's next. Um, a lot of our prayer has changed. A lot of the way we worship has changed, just personally. Like just how God used to speak to you has changed. I'm like, okay, in this time, how do we abide in Christ? How do we not just Christ abide in us, but we abide in Christ as well? And um, so he, this is the thing that God's been speaking to him to speak to the church globally. So he's been sharing this message everywhere. So, but, but I don't know anybody who does this better than him. So not just the sharing of this, but the abiding, like the part of abiding. So he can be in a room and he can just, just he chooses just to, to seek God right in the moment. And then all of a sudden you feel stuff coming off of him. I don't know how to explain it. So I said, well, show us how to do that. Okay. Show us how to do that. So let's all stand up. Yep. And so we're going to, we're basically, what we're going to do is we're going to activate something in you. So all the things he was just saying was to speak to your spirit. Because there's something going on. God is doing something in your spirit. So whether you understood all that or you, you got it all and you're like, yeah, this is good. Now what? Like, how do I, how do I live in that reality? That's what we want. We want to live in this space where we, we want to pray in tongues all day long because that's how I connect. We want to just be abiding in him always, but not just abiding in him where we abide and the outward evidence begins to show. There's something coming off of us. Like, I know how to identify God in a room when he's showing up. When God's showing up, I can see it. I jump on it, and then, yeah, this is amazing. But can I make that happen in any room? I don't know anybody who does it better than this guy. So I want to be activated. I want to be, as a body, activated in that. Okay. That's kind of the... So that's what we're going to do. <laughs> all right. First of all, I'm going to put my hand on my, my stomach. Okay? My spirit is not down there. My spirit is the shape of me, goes outside of me, goes connected into heaven. It's, it's big. But I'm recognizing that God lives in me. And so uh, I want you just to focus right now on God in you. Think about that. God, you're in me. Jesus, you, by your Holy Spirit, you live in me. And I say yes to your presence right now. Yes. Yes to your presence. Yes to you, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Okay, now I want you just to, to, to listen with your spirit. Anything that God would, would say to you, you, you're in a, you walk into a room, you're in this room right now, and God is in you, you're aware, you're, you're focusing on, okay, I'm not looking for you, Jesus, to come from the outside in. I'm, I'm recognizing that the gate of heaven is right here. I'm a dwelling place of you. And I'm welcoming you, not just words of information, but words of transformation. My spirit, ah, to come alive. Just to be activated from the inside out. Okay, if you hear anything, now God speaks primarily in, in, we hear in three ways. We see pictures, we sense things, we hear phrases, hear words. That's not God's limitation, that's our limitation. But generally, when something comes to us, our spirit then speaks to our soul in thoughts, pictures, Feelings, a sense of something. Okay, and just see what God in you wants to say to you right now. What's he saying to you? Okay, anybody hearing anything in you? Are you hearing anything coming from you? Lift your hand if you are. Okay. All right, Some, somebody just, if you dare to say out loud, just say it nice and loud. What did, what did you hear? Okay. 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 Come on. Okay. Come on. To me, he said, you are hope. Yeah. 
Tell me, you are hope. He told me to rejoice. <laughs> okay, now, you, we should practice that awareness seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Don't look out here, but look in here. What's God saying in, in here? What's coming? God does not speak to your soul. He speaks to your spirit. Then your spirit speaks to your soul. That's why it sounds like you. Because it is you. <laughs> but that's because God spoke to your spirit. He's speaking to you before you know what he's saying. Okay, now, second, what's in you also needs to be what's upon you. So let's just practice a moment. So just practice, just releasing what's inside of you. Just, fill, just see it filling up right now. Thank you. And I, I'm just going to do just a little, little pr a prayer even. Uh, Jesus, the same oil, come on, the same oil that rose you from the dead, the same anointing is on top of your head. Come on. There it is. It goes down your beard. Come on. There it is. Runs all over your clothes down to your feet. So we're submerged in that. But it's from the inside out. Now, at this point, even if you have something physical in your body right now, if there's a pain, if there's something that needs healing, Holy Spirit, we just welcome you to flood, 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 flood. Scripture says when the enemy comes in, like a flood, you raise up a standard against him, God. I said that different than you've probably read it. But I have biblical evidence that that's what God does. The enemy doesn't come like a flood. God is the flood that destroys the work of the enemy. <laughs> and demons live in dry places, not flooded places. So flood, <laughs> flood. Come on, somebody right now. Is somebody right now, you've got some, uh, God's freeing you from the inside out from addictions. Whether it's habits or somebody right now, it could be online, somebody in this room right now. There you are, Holy Spirit. Come on. Break. Come on. Oh. <laughs> now, also learn. That in your relationship with God, uh, right now we're, we're going through it, some exercises that are deliberate. And uh, in your everyday world, you don't just stop and do deliberate exercises. That would be like going to the gym and carrying out the equipment out in the street, and throwing a stair stepper in front of somebody and being weird. <laughs> so you, you don't have time for that. So you have to learn to exercise so that you can have the use of that same muscle anytime, anywhere covertly uh, so you release that presence uh, one of the best testimonies of that was down in the learning center many years ago we had a little boy that was um, his mama was a drug addict his little brother was born addicted he had a rough home and sometimes he would manifest and his face would contort and he'd use words that adults didn't like to hear. In other words, he was wrestling with some demonic stuff. And they got me one day and I went down there and I got down on my knees because that's how tall he was. And I asked if I could pray for him. And he went, no. And I said, well, would you pray for me? Yeah. So then covertly I put my hand behind him why I'm clothed in Christ and guess what little man got free without a fuss or a muss so clothed in Christ anybody feel a physical healing or anything during this time right here anybody warmth anything 
and liquid love. Come on. I mean, I mean I, relationship with God is like dancing. Okay? Don't wait for him to come to you. Eagerly wait for him. Okay, like there he is. Okay, now. See? See, there he is. Ah, ooh, there he is. Look, see? Oh, there he is. See, now, how come I'm experiencing him is because I'm leaning into him when he comes. If you don't see what's going on. Okay, now, you dance with him. When he takes a step, you take a step. Don't wait for him to, oh, force yourself on me. Okay, come to him. Go to him. Whether it's in or upon, learn your dance. You, you can steal mine, but it might not work for you. You've got to find your dance. Yeah, that's true. Okay, now God with you. God with you is a partnership. Okay, what if, I, I think in releasing, I want you to give you a God with you assignment. Yeah, that's good. Okay, today... I want you to think of something that God's not thinking. And then I want you to see what he thinks. Jesus did what he saw the Father doing. We often say he did only that which the Father told him. Where did you find that? Where do you find that in Scripture? It ain't in Scripture. Once in a while, he did what the Father said to do, but he did always what he saw the Father doing. How did he see what the Father was doing? He was in partnership with the Father. <laughs> so, think some things. Think something, one. <laughs> that you think God would think. And then see what he thinks about what you just thought. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. Now, I'm not telling you to just independently think of stuff he's not thinking about. If he ain't thinking, if he says, whoa, that ain't me, then don't go there. <laughs> but practice a lifestyle of him in you, with you, upon you, and with you. Okay. So there's no such thing as, well, it's Sunday. We'll come back next week and do this again. You got tomorrow. You got today. Tomorrow morning when you get up, what are we going to see coming off of you? Okay. What's going to be clothed? What are you going to be clothed in tomorrow? At 11 o'clock. How about 1? Hey, what about 1.15? Okay. Now, you're a practitioner. You won't get it perfect, but you got to get it more and more. Okay. I'll tell you, I, I travel the world, and one thing my friends do say is they like it when I walk into a room. That's what our neighbors should say. Yeah? Awesome. Father, we just thank you for what you're doing today. Holy Spirit, we thank you for what you're doing. And we just ask that you continue to grow us in this. Yeah, help on. us to abide in you. Help us to be within you, with you, upon you. God, all these things, the way, the truth, and the life. Help us to embody who you want us to be. And so, God, we just activate these words in us to come alive, not just for Sundays, but for tomorrow, for the next minute, for now, always now. So we just act, you activate these words in us and help us to always live in your presence, demonstrating your presence, being with you, God, and you partnering with us in what their journey is. And so we bless those people in our pathway that are about to be in our pathway this week. So our coworkers, our problems that are coming about our, our way this week, God, we just bless that you are going to partner with you and demonstrate your way, demonstrate your truth, and demonstrate who you are to each, each and every one of those situations. Amen? Amen.